2: Hi and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for 4 minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life's experiences. Our news is bite sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, February 25th, 2022. This is episode number 224. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis is Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 26,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. That's one of the unique things about this show. Not only do we have a panel of expert correspondents, often we have someone in our audience that is intimately involved in the story. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a right. review.
3: I'm like the last speaker. It asked me to
2: speaker. Gee. Gee. We can hear you. Oh, so, Okay, uh, today, today we're talking about interstate commerce, more celebrities and their weed products, cannabis and job creation how federalization could go horribly wrong, Columbia getting ready to export, the pot tax debate, a cannabis bar and restaurant opening in Nashville, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The
4: following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised.
2: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She's a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname Jail Google from fellow inmates. What's your headline today, Nicole?
5: Well, happy fuck it Friday, and thank you for the lovely introduction, Susan. Um, My headline today is actually about jobs. Even though it's Friday, and I know everyone's pretty excited to be having a great weekend, I want to be able to share some really cool information and some data about cannabis and job creation. My headline comes out of Green Entrepreneur. Now, I want to make sure that we talk about some data, some really important uh, key findings in this article. Now, 2021 marked the first year that cannabis job creation hit six figures. After adding 32,700 jobs in 2019, 77,300 jobs in 2020, the industry added 107,000 new jobs in 2021. The United States now has three times as many cannabis workers as dentists. There are more people employed in the cannabis industry than there are hairstylists, barbers, and cosmetologists just combined. And as of 2022, 3 out of 4 Americans now live in a state where medical cannabis is legal. The total cannabis sales figures this year hit report of 25 will hit a report of 25 billion dollars, which apparently only represents about 20 to 25% of the total potential US cannabis market. By 2025, Americans total annual legal cannabis revenue is forecasted to be closer to 45 billion dollars, which is still less than half the total potential market. Last year America's legal cannabis industry created more than 280 new jobs per day. And now, and I would like to say just as somebody who has uh, built companies, I've I've personally hired a little over uh, 1,500 people in the 10 years that I've been in the industry and helped employ several thousand people throughout the different companies that I've run. um, I can attest to this. And I'm also watching the uh, normalization and standardization of, um, you know, labor in this state, uh, well, and just in cannabis in general, but in California in a big way, Really make uh, huge changes and big pivots. You know, this industry definitely did not have uh, the best in the way of, uh, you know, benefits and HR protocols. And I think that that's really changing quite a bit and it's opening up the market to make it so that people are really feeling safe in this space, which I think is huge. Uh, More than 400,000 jobs currently in cannabis. According to the report, there are 428,059 full time equivalent jobs that are supported by the legal cannabis industry in the U.S. Furthermore, America's 11 operating adult use markets and 27 medical marijuana states combined are literally selling billions of dollars worth of cannabis. So since 2014, the nation's first adult-use cannabis store opened, and the industry has created hundreds of thousands of new jobs in America, and there are still plenty more yet to be created. And I can't agree with this more. I really hope that everybody is starting to feel a little bit more opportunity in this industry. And I know you're hearing uh, a lot of people, especially like we have um, Elliot on the stage, who's regularly talking about the import- importance of creating um, you know, union jobs. I think that that's actually something that's happening pretty regularly right now now and i do think and do definitely want to say thank you to the unions helping standardize uh workers conditions here throughout uh, the cannabis industry and i'm nicole west reporting for the state of cannabis news
6: how long till we get these conservative job creators complaining about the marijuana industry taking their jobs how long nicole
5: they took her jobs. they took her-
0: we care more about job creation
6: as well elusive. as job
0: stabilization
6: The illusion of job creation under the guise of the bait and switch.
0: Well, if you look at Joe Biden's economic numbers, that's where you'll find that
7: at.
4: There you go. There's, I think there's, there's mixed with the jobs. Yes, there's a lot of great jobs and a lot of great um, benefits coming, and the benefits are starting to come along. Um, But at the same time, some are retail jobs, which is is mixed. So I'm excited for all the new jobs coming online, and I think it helps normalize um, cannabis among other people. As oh, hey, my friend works in cannabis, so it helps it normalize to the larger community.
6: I wonder how long of these, how how many of these jobs are actually going to be like transitioning into careers, or are they just short term stop gaps until federal legalization drops, and then it's just everything's automated and everybody's unemployed again.
5: I I don't think that that's going to really be possible um, for a while, Um, even with federal legalization, and I'm going to push for a fucking deschedule or bus till the day that they actually deschedule. I don't think that that'll happen. Simply the same way that I don't think that the market will be completely cannibalized in the way of – we will have, you know, a 10 to 15% craft market and people that really get to lean in and then there'll be, you know, standardized jobs that, and that's pretty much the reason why I'm glad the union already has a presence because when the, you know, the Amazons and the big box stores of the world show up, the union will already have a foothold in those businesses to be able to ensure that they're not getting completely stepped on. And so I do kind of, you know, I think that there will be a mass consolidation in a big way and a lot of people will be working for like fucking Pepsi Cola in five years or, or or, you know, uh, fucking Facebook weed. I don't know. But uh, at the end of the day, the fact that we do have, and the cannabis industry did come in early with, um, you know, especially in a, a state like California, uh, labor peace agreements, I do think that it will make a huge difference um, in, in the stopping reporting of that, you, Rico. But, yeah. do you, but, do you,
6: but do you think that um, um, because... Most likely we're going to get federal legalization under Republican control. Do you think that we're setting up for a battle royale between all these union-busting yeah. Republicans Fuck yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, this, But, this but without it, what are we
2: nuts,
5: doing man? with I'm glad that we'll have the, the backing, at least to have somebody to help fucking battle with us, because at the end of the day, we're just a bunch of individual voices with the union, especially with some of the unions that are playing in the cannabis fucking market. Those are some of the biggest voices in the nation that can even stand up against the government in those situations when we are fucking Republican ruled. So I, I'm hopeful that, you know, companies embracing this opportunity is actually going to help us when that federal legalization uh, gavel does drop.
2: Hey Rico, to your you. point to your point about automation, the world is going to get more and more automated and hopefully uh, the, its population will become more equally wealthy. And I think that hospitality jobs and creative jobs, music and all of that kind of thing is going to become more valued and so maybe those will be good jobs. At, at least it's a whole new sector in the hospitality industry.
6: Well, maybe we'll get you know socialized cannabis, and there'll be boof blunts in every pocket someday soon. I'd rather stop breathing.
4: No, uh, new Jersey also has labor peace agreements required, so we're going to get a good push of unionization out of the new emerging uh, New Jersey market as well.
0: So a I, I qu- question, does anyone really believe that unions— or I rather, the question is, which one do you believe? Do you believe that unions uh, help uh, uh, for help to lobby for better work conditions? Or do you think uh, unions just lobby for themselves under the guise of lobbying for better work conditions?
5: As somebody who's both worked for the union and been a union member and worked at a union uh, store, um, I would say that they do a little bit of both. But at the big picture, um, the opportunities that I've seen and the um, ability to actually protect the worker has far outnumbered uh, the things that they've been lobbying for as far as cannabis is concerned, as well as if it wasn't for the union, the city of Long Beach would still have a 6% gross revenue tax on all of its manufacturing and cultivation, whereas now it has dropped down to 1% because the union stood in and really stepped in in a city like Long Beach, which is a heavy-run union place to help the businesses um, be able to survive.
8: If it wasn't for unions, we wouldn't have weekends. Happy Friday.
2: Whoop, whoop, whoop. Thank you, Omar, for bringing it home. Uh, Let's keep on moving. We went a little bit long on that story, but uh, up next is Rico Lemite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. He's also the patriarch of dad jokes on the show. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? I hope it's spicy.
6: That's uh, a little spicy, at least my response is. So my story's coming out of Benzinga. Check out these celebrities' favorite weed products, Wiz Khalifa, b Real, Burner, Ricky Williams, and more. So it was hell getting back to America from Mexico, and I'm grumpy as fuck today. So I'm going to give y'all a little bit of this Friday frustration. Uh, would, y'all, would you like to hear it? Well, here it go. Javier Hase is a good journalist, and I respect his work and regularly pull from his articles to deliver stories here on NewsHour. But today's piece from Benzinga highlighting celebrity favorite weed products is garbage. I agree with him saying celebrity involvement in cannabis industry is at an all-time high. I even recruited a decent amount of celebrities into the space over the last few years, so I know how powerful influencer marketing and promotion and product launches can be. Numbers don't lie. Like it or not, the shit works. But I think lists like this are lazy and potentially harmful to the reputations of respected journalists. So let me explain why. The five products he lists as celebrity-created weed accessories you need to check out are Vibes Rolling Papers by Burner, Heisman by Ricky Williams, G-Pen's new line with Dr. Green Thumb, be real, uh, Student Glass Limited line with Taylor Gang, Wiz Khalifa, or and Higher Standards Accessory line with Jonathan Adler. Uh, vibes. What exactly makes these rolling papers premium? Cookie's head honcho burner, of course. Hase reports, recently launched Cali mimics burner's signature rolling style, pre roll tube with a wide circumference that delivers optimal flow, uh, comfortable pulls, and big smoke experience. Before ending the one-paragraph section with a quote from burner himself, all you have to do is stuff and puff with the Cali. No info on the materials used, the science behind the papers, story behind the brand, just Burner smokes these and you should too. Cool. Heisman, swear this one's just a stand-in showing love for Ricky Williams, the former NFL star and renowned cannabis advocate. But all we get is this. Heisman is a cannabis lifestyle brand created to empower professional and everyday athletes as well as sports enthusiasts alike, pulled directly from their website. That's it. Dr. Green Thumbs and G-Pen. This one I can get down with. Per the article, see Cypress Hills Be Real teamed up with G-Pen on the collection of Dr. Green Thumb branded vaporizers. Full product descriptions given. uh, Science behind the vape tech. And even if it is, it doesn't read like a thinly veiled promo spot for either party. Up next, Taylor Gang and Student Glass. uh, A step above the Heisman. Doing a little to educate readers on what and how, more focusing on the who and why. Wiz Khalifa is awesome, and so is his overpriced gravity bomb. Buy it. I swear we're not getting any kickback for it. Jonathan Adler in Higher Standards. This one is interesting and out of place. Y is my favorite of the bunch. Green Lane Holdings luxury lifestyle brand, higher standard, connected with legendary potter and designer Jonathan Adler for handcrafted accessories for the sophisticated smoker. It's so different than the rest of the bunch, mostly leaning towards street culture. I want to learn more about what the products are, the creative processes, pricing and availability, none of which are provided. Look, I understand click economics and empathize with writers having to dumb down quality content, debate bait. In order to get numbers up. But come on, man. Give me some substance or give me consistency. I'd rather have a full, bullshit, clickbaity, BuzzFeed-style list of time-wasting trash than a half-assed presentation of celebs and their products, some descriptive and some vague. Javier, I love you, man, but the game of just the tip must end. Either go full savage for the clicks and get paid on volume or continue with the long game knowing information and education may not instantly monetize like shock and awe, but the respect remains on your name. Just know when you're neither fully in or out, it's your audience that's getting the shaft. This Lamite, After 22 hours dodging Texas snowstorms and fighting with customs, the dopest dad is back in these LA streets for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What are y'all's thoughts?
0: I mean, four of these five products that you listed on this, Rico, are all maybe owned by separate companies, but all four of those companies are all in bed together. So it's pretty much just a whole promo article.
9: Yeah, I'm pretty sure most of those products are distributed by Greenlane. But, you know, whether it's a listicle or not, um, I, I think that the products do represent some of the top celebrity endorsed products or celebrity backed products that are new on the market.
6: I mean, my problem isn't the, the actual products. My problem is the inconsistent fucking journalism here. You get like, like one that just has like two sentences, and then one goes all the way deep in what the product is, what it fucking does. I think it, it, it diminishes the reputation of, of any respected journalist doing this shit. Do it under a pseudonym or, or something. It's trash. Who's,
2: my, my, not, who's not pay to play, Rico?
10: The bro- we are. We, know not. we
2: are not. We are not. State, State of Cannabis, Cannabis News Hour. hour. That's, That's the answer. But, but we, we are
6: not, take your bag and we will play.
5: <laughs> but also, we'll take your money. So donate. Stateofcannabis.org.
8: Please.
2: Just no strings attached.
8: I don't think that was actual journalism. That was just somebody like doing a compilation of PR, you know, news releases. Yeah.
11: I agree, Omar. This looks like it's just a compilation of, like, let's give shine to the people who always get shine. Like, we, we know that these people have these products out. We don't need an article about how these people have more products out.
5: I feel like that was a now that's what we call music weed edition. Um, thank you so much for that headline, though, Rico, um, and everyone's insight. Uh, definitely interesting. Up next, we have Mr. Jason Beck. Jason's the longest-running retailer in the U.S. history of cannabis and an international man of mystery who finds a way to get higher every day and is always willing to be the elephant in the smokiest of rooms. Jason, what do you have for us today?
0: Oh, yeah, Nicole. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Today, I have a super, super elephant in the room, smoky story for everybody. So I hope everyone sits down and puts their seatbelt on because it may get a little bumpy ride. So who's who in federal marijuana reform and legalization? The movement to overhaul federal marijuana policy has gotten more crowded in recent years with a new trade associations, business groups, social justice, ju- justice advocates, and lobbyists joining calls to legalize the plant. The collection of stakeholders also has become much more diverse. When I first started, there were six paid nonprofit advocate lobbyists, including myself, and seven paid for-profit industry suits, said Justin Streckel, a former political director at Normal, who began lobbying Congress in 2016 to legalize cannabis. Today, there are four nonprofit advocate lobbyists and hundreds of registered lobbyists representing the industry, which is a technonic shift, Shrekkel said. But with that crowding comes differing values and competing political agendas, Shrekkel and others noted. Particularly big business interests have begun fighting behind the scenes and... Occasionally in the open against traditional free plant type activists. That culture class has been gaining steam as the marijuana industry has flourished and attracted businesses, executives who focus solely on profit margins. Stephen Hawkins, president of the U.S. Cannabis Council, USCC, said he hasn't seen much the divergence between the various players lobbying Congress on marijuana reform. That does not mean there won't be subtle differences that will emerge. But broadly speaking, we are all Um, On the same page, Hawkins said. Hawkins noted that both he and Rezwan Khan, the president of the Global Alliance for Cannabis Commerce and former USCC member, were present for U.S. Representative Nancy Mace's unveiling of the States Reform Act in November, despite some tension over a Daily Beast report that some uh, that, 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 that same month questioned the goals of some USCC members and I also shared a link of this uh, beast of the Daily Beast report and I encourage people to check this out, that article out as well. As more industry insiders raise their voices to call for marijuana legalization and subsequent market regulation, the article uh, in, in total lists 16 different organizations working on cannabis policy in one form another but let me tell you the truth, what it sounds like is an innocent, unassuming line in, in this is actually a cover up of a different article um, that not all are, necess- are necessary ally advocates to legalization, nor the consumer or the patient. Big business interests have been fighting behind the scenes, particularly big business interests have begun fighting behind the scenes and occasionally in the open against traditional free the plant type activists. That culture class has been gaining steam as the marijuana industry has flourished and attracted business executives who focus solely on profit margins today. That divide has become more focused on policy questions, including interstate and eventually international uh, cannabis commerce, home cultivation by consumers, license caps, and efforts aimed at making the industry more diverse through social equity programs. And really, it comes down to this, everybody. It becomes a divide in people who are trying to control the future of cannabis purely for their own financial gain versus people who actually smoke weed and whose lives these laws will ultimately fucking impact. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
2: Jason, are you f- playing around with a poker chip or a silver dollar or something? What's that noise you're making?
0: Oh, I did have my keys in my hand while I was uh, while I was oh. reading that. Sorry,
2: it's keys. Okay.
6: It was it was his, his double sided coin that he flips. He finds out how he's going to dole out punishment to his enemies.
0: Well, my my coin says heads you win, tails you <laughs> lose.
6: I thought it was like heads I win, tails you lose. Rico, you could never win against me.
2: Does anyone have a comment on Jason's headline, though?
0: I mean, basically, what's happening in Washington, D.C., is you have a lot of these larger MSO groups who are strictly um, trying to hamper interstate trade as well as to keep these protectionist market spaces alive and well so they can keep prices artificially high at the same time lobbying against uh lobbying against home grow and whatnot and the only people that are really lobbying for home grow interstate trade and whatnot are actually people that actually smoke weed and not these fucking corporate chills that want to claim that they control
6: the cannabis industry
5: descheduler bust yes
6: please do please do so up next in an industry full of trolls posting up daily under the bridge this fellow dope daddy. that's right He's the host and co-creator of Go with Sensi Meg and fellow seeker of truth when it comes to finding out the true origins of Christmas. Coming up straight out of the COVID quarantine and out of the purple state of Texas, where they're having thunderstorms and and snowstorms
10: and they don't let Americans back in,
6: Stone Slade, where you at, man?
10: Thank you, Rico. Sorry you had trouble getting through the frozen state of Texas, but uh, I'm glad you made it home. I'm bringing a fun story, you guys, guys, out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee... Germantown is one of Nashville's oldest historic neighborhoods located just outside the downtown area and exudes period charm with bougie restaurants on restored, in restored Victorian buildings and cafes along brick sidewalks. Coming up in late April to May, it'll be home to Nashville's first cannabis restaurant. Music City-based seed-to-sale company, uh, seed-to-shelf company, excuse me, Caft Kran- Cannabis is set to open up buds and brews in North Germantown. Buds and Brews is the first cannabis uh, business of its kind in the state, and it'll be very interesting to see how things go because although CBD oil products are legal, Tennessee is currently one of 10 states in the U.S. that has yet to decriminalize medical cannabis. So how is National opening a cannabis restaurant, you might be asking? Well, the menu at Buds and Brews will pair elevated American dishes with legal hemp-derived THC-infused condiments from craft cannabis. The 21 and older restaurant and bar will be decked out with TVs for game day, and the kitchen will be led by Chef Sam McGee, who's a well-known chef from Nashville Staples, Urban Grub, and Fifth and Taylor. Now, the dishes themselves won't be infused with THC, just the sauces, which will come with dosing spoons. Buds and Brews also plans to offer a selection of infused desserts and drinks, and I did search around and couldn't find any clarification on whether the drinks will be infused mocktails, which I'm assuming, or if they'll be getting their patrons cross-faded. The restaurant's policies have noted its dishes infused with THC are only allowed to be consumed on the property and cannot be packaged to go. Owner Michael Solomon spent a decade learning about legal cannabis and becoming a licensed medical grower in California before moving back to Nashville after the Farm Bill passed in 2018 and then launching his cannabis brand in 2019. That Farm Bill legalized cannabis in Tennessee with a 0.3% THC or less limit, and since then the cannabis industry has grown exponentially in the state. So Susan, I have to say, I was super stoked yesterday when you sent me this article to cover. I just saw the headline about a cannabis bar opening in Nashville in April, and all I could think about was, fuck yeah, I'm going to be there in May to see my buddies in the Afghan wigs play, and we're definitely stopping there. However, that excitement quickly faded when I realized that we're talking about THC Life. Personally, as a heavy consumer, I have zero interest in a Delta 8 restaurant and bar, but with that said... I do declare this is a great example of taking the lemons the Tennessee government gave you and making lemonade. While this level of legal has zero chance of hurting the illicit market in the state, I think if it's done right, it's a great avenue for the curious in Tennessee to experience some form of cannabis before they legalize the real stuff. The state plans to poll Tennesseans about their feelings towards cannabis in the upcoming 2022 ballot, so think of it as legal cannabis on training wheel, wheels, if you will. I wish Bud's and Brew success because I do think it'll help normalize and destigmatize cannabis in the southern state, especially located in such a popular area of the city. I'd love to hear everybody else, uh, everybody else's take on this D8 restaurant and bar. I'm um, Stone Slade reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
6: This just sounds like a, like a like a strip club that doesn't offer full nudity.
0: <laughs>
6: yeah, I'm with you,
0: bro. This this fucking restaurant sounds lame as fuck. And but I will tell you what, they could have a really good name. They should call it date night and just D eight. Ooh,
6: I'm (laughs) picking up what you're putting down there, Mr. Beck.
8: You better get that trademark, Jason.
5: So, go ahead. I'm Tennessee weed um, as boof. I'm super curious to see how this actually pans out just because um, without having standardization on testing for these 0.3 products um, in Tennessee, without having the proper laboratories, they're just going to be buying it from fucking, you know, whatever Joe Schmo CBD manufacturer uh, that says that it's below. Um, And at what point is there going to be liability on these companies because they're going to be giving higher than those percentages. And I'm very curious to see what kind of regulations they're going to put on the precursor of these products. I just
4: think it's interesting how the cannabis and alcohol are going to try to play in the same sandbox. That's what
2: I was thinking when I read this. And it's like after I read it too, Stone, I was like, am I really going to get any weed or alcohol if I go here? I'm not sure.
10: Exactly. It doesn't clarify at all. I agree with you 100% on the regulation, Nicole. Um, this particular business, they are—it's all in-house grown, so it's it's his own booth that uh, hopefully he's he's making it clean.
0: I wonder, I wonder what their insurance company has to say about this.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Exactly what I was saying. Like, this is a huge liability.
2: Yeah, I wanted to hear from Omar real quick. I know we're at time, but uh, because uh, you're...
8: Sounds like a trial balloon, like it's will open. And I think they're waiting to see if the regulators are going to push back and see what kind of response there is. So to me, this is kind of brilliant, you know, floating a trial balloon. We'll see if it's a Led Zeppelin or if it's Source.
11: If there's anything Omar- that Tennesseans love, it's their whiskey. So it's going to be really interesting to see the weed people try to come into the music city where the liquor reigns supreme and see how this goes.
6: Is bourbon better than whiskey?
0: Omar- it's on
11: the roast. Tequila is the best. Oh, God. Omar,
0: okay. Omar, I'm so with you. I'm so with you on this trial balloon because I have a feeling this shit is going to get popped.
5: Uh, well, thank you so much for that headline stone and very interesting bit of information and, uh, that Led Zeppelin comment, man, Omar, it's a great segue for you. Founder of the law firm focusing on transactional cannabis business law, director of the National Cannabis Industry Association, legal publisher and author, Gonjier, and my absolute favorite author of the blogs that I love to quote, Omar Figueroa, what do you have for us today?
8: Thank you, Nicole. Happy Friday, everyone. My story is from WKBW in Buffalo, New York by Ashley Rowe. And the headline is Cheek Police Raid Smoke Shop Owner Accused of Gifting Cannabis with Sticker Purchase. And the scoop is boxes of Trips Ahoy and Love Savers Cannabis Lace Candies were among the thousands of bags of edibles and marijuana seized on February 4th during a Cheek Police Raid of Shaken Day's Green Vision Wellness on French Road. Police say they executed a search warrant after an undercover detective managed to acquire cannabis products by buying a sticker and being gifted those products in return. Quote, society doesn't accept this. This isn't a safe way to sell a drug and it shouldn't be going on. So we're going to try to put a stop to it, said Cheek Police Chief Brian Gold. Gold said the sales clerk wrote down the undercover detective's desired cannabis product on the back of a sticker, and then, when it came time to check out, the clerk behind the counter slid the product into a dropbox labeled, labeled gift. To me, that's a sale, said Gold. Nicholas Hooper, 27, of Rochester, was arrested and charged with unlawful sale of cannabis or concentrated cannabis, which is a violation. But, according to Erie County District Attorney John Flynn... The penal law does not restrict gifting cannabis as long as the amount is less than three ounces. He calls it a legal loophole. Yay! As a result, he is not prosecuting the sale charge, instead leaving it to a town prosecutor. It's clearly a scam. There's no doubt in my mind about that. The question, from my standpoint, is what am I going to do about it, said Flynn, the town uh, district attorney. Flynn will, however, be prosecuting the case against... Sheik and Daces owner, who is charged with criminal possession of cannabis in the first degree, uh, p- criminal possession of cannabis in the second degree. Flynn said he will take this case on because of the sheer volume of marijuana that was seized by police. Sale's attorney, the owner's attorney, Phil Matrinsky, tells Seven News that Sale will plead not guilty when he appears in court in March. He believes it was an illegal seizure, said the lawyer, Chief Gold is committed to moving forward with the unlawful sale charge because he wants to send a message to other businesses taking advantage of this cannabis gifting practice, which is growing in popularity across the state. If you are selling cannabis in Chicktawaha, we are going looking for you and we will be at your store with a search warrant one of these days, said Gold. Gold calls it a public safety risk because the cannabis products being distributed are unregulated and could easily get into the wrong hands. We have people going into these totally unregulated stores buying a drug that they have no idea what's in it. They are definitely even marketed to look like candy and cookies and things that appeal to the young people in our community. Parents might not even realize their kid is ingesting a drug. The packages are very similar to real packages. When officers descended on shaken days to execute the search warrant, Gold estimates at least 100 customers showed up to the store. My take is uh, thank you for that tip, district attorney. Now we know the loophole, less than three ounces. And as the red hot chili peppers say, give it away, give it away, give it away now. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, author, and Gangier instructor, reporting from Sebastopol in Sonoma County for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
9: Great article, uh, Omar. And uh, while I I do enjoy the realities of give it away, give it away, give it away now practices, I do think that even if this individual has found a legal loophole, what they're doing is aiding unfair competition and creating consumer confusion by using these very popular trade names and variations of it. And those products themselves, uh, we shouldn't encourage behaviors that allow them to exist. And also those products entering the marketplace become a danger to children.
8: For sure, uh, and the trademark infringement, you know, m- might bring on the Feds. The Feds crack down hard in California when people are making all sorts of like Reese's pieces, lookalikes, and Kit Kat knockoffs.
0: I'm a little disappointed because I've seen all these trap brands, but I've never seen Love Savers, and so I, I-, I totally want to see that now.
2: Wonky, wonky nerd clusters. Seen, I
8: bet you seen can buy that, those labels to, uh, on Alibaba.
2: Oh, all you sure oldies. can. You can buy them downtown L.A. Yeah, Chittawaga is a town of about
4: 90,000 attached to Buffalo. It's about it's less than a half an hour from Canada. So, you know, these little—and New York, as soon as they roll out, their regulations are going to start cracking down on this sort of thing. So he's got a little bit of time before he has to close his doors.
0: New York is not doing any type of enforcement, is not going to crack down on any of these people. Fucking trap till you die, New York. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that uh, I'm going to play the disclaimer now. Hang on a second. No, uh, I believe we have an ad
6: high luxury equity brand, local, authentic, lifestyle cannabis. Can express is a select equity brand, enhancing highs for the everyday patient and recreational user smoke with class and experience with high luxury cannabis. Can express available at your local catalyst dispensaries.
0: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
5: The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speakers, State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice. And the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers.
8: Viewer discretion advised.
5: At True Classic OG, we live by one motto, stay true. We stay true to our legacy cut of true OG that is always fresh, piney, gassy, and delicious. We represent the spirit, hustle, and the diversity of our great city of Los Angeles. And we stay true to the plant, doing everything in-house to ensure that you get the highest quality and consistency with every batch. This is what made us LA's favorite OG, and as I like to call it, the best weed in a jar since weed in a jar.
2: If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. Let's keep smoking the news.
6: Let's. She's the first black female cannabis sommelier. She's also the CMO of Fruit Slabs, a deliciously infused vegan and kosher edible treat. Up next... It's Maggie Wilson. What you got for us today, Maggie?
11: Good morning, everyone. Today I've got a story out of Benzinga as well. Uh, Rico and I are on the same, <laughs> we're on the same train here. Uh, my story is by Javier Hase as well. It's cannabis pre-rolls for a cause. Glasshouse Farms, Mission Green, team up to help nonviolent cannabis prisoners. Glasshouse Farms, uh, Glasshouse Brands, uh, Glasshouse Farms has teamed up with Mission Green with the shared goal of raising awareness for those serving jail for those serving jail time for cannabis-related offenses. For every multi-pack of pre-rolls sold, one dollar will be donated to Mission Green at select retailers from February 15th to March 15th, up to ten thousand dollars. The participating stores are The Pottery, Pharmacy Berkeley, Pharmacy Santa Ana, and Pharmacy Santa Barbara. Uh, there's a quote from Kyle Kazan, the co founder and chairman of, and CEO of Glasshouse Brands, uh, where he mentions that he has always been a long supporter of Weldon and that he is happy to be on the board. Uh, I do note that this article seemed like it was a little unfinished, it seemed like it was really hurried. Most of the article is just a quote from Kyle Kazan, so I personally reached out to Weldon to see to see if I could get a (laughs) quote from him. And I did. So the quote that I have from Weldon, says, Glasshouse has been a valuable partner in our ongoing fight to end cannabis incarceration around the country. Individuals convicted of cannabis offenses essentially live as second-class citizens in modern society and are stripped of their abilities to access loans, housing, and professional opportunities even after they've served their sentences. We will continue to work with Glasshouse and our other partners to ensure that the detrimental effect of cannabis prohibition are relics of the past. And I think that's what this article really really should have focused on more is that the mission of Project Mission Green is to help the people who are nonviolent cannabis prisoners in the United States right now. There are less than 2,000 nonviolent cannabis prisoners. And when you support Mission Green, you're actually putting money into someone's commissary, which if you're not familiar what that is, you have to pay to do anything while you're in prison. So to make a phone call to call your kid on their birthday, if you don't have money in your commissary, you can't do that. So I think that this is great. I really love that anybody that supports Mission Green, I think it's a much better organization to support than some of the other organizations that purport to be helping cannabis prisoners. But if you're buying weed, you should absolutely be helping the people who are in jail to be able to, for you to be able to buy weed. So this is Maggie Wilson reporting for the State of Cannabis. 100%
0: Maggie Wilson. Mission Green does phenomenal work. And also too, when you are in jail, when you talk about commissary, I think the slogan is, it's called pay to stay.
5: Yeah. Honestly, if it wasn't for commissary uh, money and any of the incarcerations that I've been through, um, I would have been like absolutely miserable. And it actually, you know, it sucks, but it helps you make friends. (laughs)
11: Absolutely. One of the things that really stuck with me is the re- one of the reasons Weldon said he started Mission Green was because it was Christmas and he didn't have the money to make a phone call to his kid or to buy like body wash, to buy soap. So he for he went buying soap to be able to make a call f- f- to, you know, from his commissary because he didn't have the same amount of funds. So like... There's a lot of issues that we should deal with that are happening in this current state that we live in, and you know, in the current state of cannabis as we as we you know live in it right now. But projects like this, supporting companies like Mission Green and Glasshouse, like when people team up like this, it's it's good. it's it's good. I don't see any I don't see anything bad happening from this, but, you know, If you can support Mission Green, definitely do this before March 15th, because I hope that they do extend this and that this continues to be able to support nonviolent cannabis prisoners. Because that's if we're buying weed, we should absolutely be helping people who are stuck in prison for it.
6: Cannabis for a cause.
8: I think it's inhuman how our prisoners are treated. And my clients who have uh, spent time behind bars always uh, mentioned how having funds in their commissary made made life appreciably better uh, for them and those around them like they can help people around them and that's how you make friends.
0: I remember all the deputies uh saying that if you had no love on uh, no, no money on your books you had no love on the streets.
5: It's not false unfortunately um well thank you so much for that headline maggie uh thank you so much for bringing that to um the conversation and everybody who participates and helps with anybody who's incarcerated um especially those that are nonviolent drug felons dr- or drug incarcerations um, definitely important so thank you so much and up next we have anna mead if captain planet smoked weed he would have asked anna to stop hogging the bong coming to us all the way from cape cod where she spends her winters writing books and her son. Creating cannabis empires on the East Coast. The author of the book "Big Sister's Guide to Cannabis," fighting for the underdog since day one. Maybe that's why she likes weed so much. Anna, what do you have for us today?
4: Thank you, Nicole, and thanks for bringing the us all together every weekday. And happy Friday! Thanks to unions. My news comes from Mugglehead, and the news is: Columbia sets rules for commercial cannabis exports. Watch out, California. Here comes Colombia. Colombian cannabis exports are set to soar after the president passed a resolution over the weekend that outlines commercial cannabis regulations for medical and industrial purposes. Today, Colombia is at the forefront with the regulation of the use of medicinal cannabis and its derivatives for industrial use. Under the published regulation, producers can apply for exporting licenses as long as the receiving country allows it. A fee structure is slated to come by the end of the month. To get a license, applicants must apply to the Information Mechanism for Cannabis Control, or MIC, and depending on the activity, either the Ministry of Justice or the Colombian National Food Drug Surveillance Institution, kind of like their DEA. The Ministry of Justice will oversee the licensing that regulates cultivars from seed to export. Um, they say that the government is also working on developing financial supports for small and medium producers through bank. AgriCo, the agency in charge of monetization, currency exchange, and commercialization. The rules allow for marketing around the plant's components and derivatives as long as the cultivar is registered under the government's National Registry of Commercial Cultivars. Cannabis companies with operations in the company, country have already started to capitalize on the move, including Canadian cannabis operator Pharma Clio, it says it expects begins to export dried flour in the first half of 22, and dried flour accounts for 50% market share in most mature cannabis markets globally and represents a massive opportunity for Colombian industry. On Friday, the EU-certified uh, producer Cleaver Leaves Holdings said its imported CBD extracts in Germany will soon be available for distribution by its partners, um, a European pharmaceutical company for purchase in German pharmacies. And Allied Corp. has primary operations in Colombia and has three CBD brands selling in the U.S., their CEO says the regulations have been highly anticipated in the last six months, and his company has focused on building flour inventory and gaining import approvals and preparing supply for export. Unlike the processed products such as isolate, high-quality flour must come to market with aesthetics and terpene cannabis pro- profiles that the customer wants, he said. So, my California friends, what do you think of Colombian exports?
0: That shit will never pass testing to make it to the U.S.
4: Why do you wow. say that?
6: <laughs> right.
4: I think they're because all headed to the European market to try to dominate it there.
0: Yes, no, you're 100% right. correct I think on that. Gonna,
8: yeah, it's going to be competing with, um, you know, all of the Californian exports in the European, potentially Canadian, New Zealand, Australian markets.
0: Yeah, they're going to be competing with Canada. Uh, the U.S. can't export shit. Because we have fucking fucked up federal officials.
2: This may not be a popular thing to say, but uh, and and Gee is going to uh, do an article about interstate commerce. Um, I think we need to start realistically thinking about interborder commerce.
6: Free the weed.
4: Dschenguler buzz. Yeah,
6: Let it flow in a border-free planet. Jason Beck, embrace it.
0: We the, the yeah, government. No, borders are important. Borders are important. Overgrow. Why?
2: why, Jason? Why are they important?
0: Because otherwise you wouldn't know where you were, Susan. You'd just be lost in the air somewhere.
2: I feel I feel <laughs> like we're like
5: three or four year olds or five year olds asking Jason, but why?
2: But why? <laughs> why? <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> also, Jason, I never know where I am, so it doesn't matter
8: to me.
7: But oh, we do you have, have to watch out for Columbia. The
8: <laughs> Because, you know, um, there's places in California that used to produce a lot of flowers and ended up as empty greenhouses. I'm thinking Half Moon Bay, California, because of Colombian and Venezuelan uh, flower farms. They can be extremely efficient. They don't have the same labor rules or workplace safety rules. And they can basically run, you know, uh, plantations down um, and not respect human rights. So we have to watch out for that. It's not a good development.
5: I also think, Jason, we're going to see a lot of gamma radiation um, and just for uh, products that are being exported that way. So we're going to see, you know, boof get boofier.
2: What does that mean, Nicole? It means, it so mean, I'm all it, about gaming
6: that's, re- regulations. The, that's, that's, how, that's how the Incredible Hulk was, was, was born, so I'm all for <laughs> that. Shit.
5: Gamma radiation is a process that they'll do. Um, Amsterdam was doing it originally through their medical program with their, the medical stuff, that they, or Germany, that they were uh, giving for medical patients. And it's basically just a radiation process that kills microbacteria, any, uh, microbiological growth or any sort of um, mold. So um, it's it, it basically kind of toasts the weed a little bit. Um, they did find the gamma radiation does decarb some of the THCA into THC, um, not all of it, a very low conversion rate, but um, it just, you know, kind of crisps the weed up, but makes it so that it's free of molds and bacterias. Um, it's kind of similar to the process where you see the UV lights and that sort of thing, uh, just at a higher volume.
2: Does it kill the terpenes
5: and make it odorless? It doesn't make it odorless, but it can definitely kill terpenes. It can kill certain cannabinoids. Um, yes. So, depending on ability, So, but, Jason
2: Beck is not going to smoke any of that. No,
0: I'm not going to touch any of that fucking boof-tasticness.
6: But what happens when it touches you, Jason? It
0: will not touch me. It will not even get close to me. I have a gamma ray myself <laughs> and a force field. <laughs> he you has won't like a him when
4: he's angry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have a phaser. We'll just we'll spar off at noon. Okay, Halloween party. Let's start planning. All right,
6: next, next, on to the next. (laughs) He's an OG dope dad known and respected by industry peers as a steadfast defender of cannabis culture and perpetual bridger of gaps. That's right, y'all. The co founder and now CEO of Pop and Barkley is coming to the stage next. Y'all know who it is, Guy Rocort.
3: Thank you, Rico. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Nicole. Uh, Today, my article is coming out of the LA Weekly Interstate. Cannabis Commerce Bill introduced into California Senate. Senate Bill 1326 will get the ball rolling. The bill will allow the governor to enter into agreements between California and one or multiple states allowing state legal businesses to conduct commercial activity. Now, of course, one of the biggest concerns and was accounted for is this bill would prohibit an entity with a commercial license issued under laws from another state engaging in commercial cannabis activity within the boundaries of the state without a license or within local jurisdictions without a license permit or authorized issued by local district jurisdiction. That's basically to protect a small town. If a multi-state operator from, let's say, I don't know, Jersey or somewhere like that comes in, uh, they can't just come into the small town and start operating. They would still need a license. However, it does provide for interstate commerce, and given that things are moving, at least from this article's perspective, quickly in D.C., uh, getting the ducks in a row, as quoted in the article, uh, is wise, with the upcoming federal reform, meaning that if we already understand how interstate commerce works for California, when the feds finally actually allow us to put trucks on the road, we'll be ready. Because I do think that this article, and I don't, I have not read the bill itself, but the article does not talk about what the federal ramifications are uh, as it relates to this. But, you know, the folks from uh, Lindsay Robinson's for the executive director of Robinson, the executive director of CCIA, told that all you wait. Ali Weekly, I think it partially got shelved in the last 18 to 24 months because of COVID. But with that said, she thinks it's going to come down to the details of the agreement in any uh, particular interstate commerce first. We need to make sure that California cannabis is stabilized and that businesses here are functioning well and hopefully thriving before we can contemplate an import. Now, of course, for me, I look at this and I think only about export to our neighboring states of Arizona, uh, Nevada, where we can maybe save the planet by cutting the footprint of tremendous indoor super grows. I would also love to start to get some of this great California and Oregon cannabis up to the folks in Canada so they, too, could maybe turn off the lights and start to save the planet. But that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, very exciting to see more progress around cannabis just being treated like a regular business and interstate commerce and the centralizing of manufacturing should be important to all of us because it breeds inefficiencies efficiencies that we all benefit from. Anyway, this is Guy Court reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Love to hear some thoughts.
2: We've got Adam Smith up from the audience. Uh, he is heading up Sensible Markets and uh, has been working on this issue for a long time. Adam, did you want to weigh in on Guy's
7: headline? Hello. First of all, thank you, Susan, for having me, and uh, Gee for uh, that great recap of the article. Uh, also, before I start, I just want to say my thoughts are with the people of Ukraine, and we should all give a minute at some point today to um, think about their bravery and their and their position. Um, So we have been working on this issue for some time. In 2019, we wrote and passed a bill in Oregon, very similar to the bill that's here in California, to allow the state to enter into interstate agreements. That bill had a federal trigger, which said that Oregon could execute such agreements as soon as the federal government either gave permission via statute or, more importantly, indicated tolerance through a Department of Justice memo or policy statement, which, as you all know, is how the entire industry operates today. our goal here, now I started working, uh, the Rural Counties Association in, in California, RCRC, uh, is behind this bill. And I started working with them uh, in late 2019 uh, on on a bill very similar to this, You know, essentially the, the precursor of this bill. Uh, and Lindsay is right. It sort of got shelved through COVID and all of the tumult happening in the California market. Um, this is envisioned uh, and we did it in Oregon because we have thousands of small farms and businesses uh, that are, you know, that are having tremendous economic problems. And in Oregon, uh, we talked for a long time about how we had an oversupply problem. But the truth is, we had a market access problem, right? If we could access the markets that our communities uh, and and traditional growers have have always access, we would need every ounce of cannabis that we're growing right now, uh, and folks could make a living. Um, and so the Alliance for Sensible Markets uh, has brought a coalition together, and we will be asking the governors of California, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado to seek... Uh, Department of Justice guidance, um, everything that has come from Joe Biden, which has said, you know, while he's against legalization, has said we uh, will leave it to the states to make decisions around cannabis regulation. Uh, and Attorney General Merrick Garland has said repeatedly, including to Congress, that they are not going to get it. You know, they're not going to get in the way uh, if where states are regulating. So we believe that there is a good chance that we can get um, we can get. Uh, um, tolerant guidance from the Department of Justice on the medical side. There is a there is a uh, an amendment to the budget to the federal budget that has been passed every year since 2013, which allows uh, which forbids DOJ from interfering in state medical programs. We believe this already would allow interstate commerce. The issue is that no state is going to uh, send folks out to potentially get mowed down by the feds unless they get some clarification on that. And we think this bill. Um, and there are some language issues that we need to clear up early in the process, but we think this bill is going to be a, a very big platform to talk about the need for small businesses and farmers and others in the industry in in traditional producer states like Oregon and California to access the consumer markets where um, those limited, you know, which are headed toward domination by a few MSOs. And I'll stop there. I could talk about this a long time, but I've taken enough.
1: Yeah, you mind if I pop sure. in? This interstate commerce thing's never. To happen, it's symbolic. It's nice that Oregon and California want to export, nobody wants to import. Truly, even Florida is never going to let imports, they're setting cookies up there. Cresco is never going to allow imports in Illinois. Arizona is a you know, harvest, is never going to let imports there. The California brands are going to have to migrate state by state under the licenses of the existing operators. The issue is not agreeing to export, of course. California, Oregon, everybody else wants to export cannabis, it will never be imported into states. Where they are controlled by a few. This is a pipe dream. It could happen, uh, but I probably won't be alive when it does.
0: See, so I disagree with Adam, and I disagree with Elliot on on this interstate trade will happen. However, this bill should not be. I don't believe anyone should put any. Intention to we need major tax reform so support SB 1281 and when it comes to interstate trade, I think it's great that these states are, are creating this drumbeat around interstate trade It's fantastic as far as for the uh, for, for the movement and concern and, and steering the narrative. but the reality is that interstate trade compacts have to be approved by Congress so you're gonna have to get uh, um, you're gonna have to get enough votes in Congress in order to have an interstate trade compact even exist. So it's total waste of fucking time.
3: Yeah. And look, while I agree that we need that, it may be a long slog. We cannot say the word never. Otherwise, we'd have we'd never have an industry. We have to continue to fight. And folks like Cresco and True Leave, we do need to clap back against that. They're creating, as Jason would say, boof weed in those states. They fear our quality cannabis. And those people deserve in those respective states access to quality quality cannabis and the free market that is the cornerstone of america needs to apply to this cannabis industry today and if we have to fight every day until we all pass on then that's what needs to happen but i'm not going to say never this will happen
0: we will have interstate trade and california has been supplying 80 percent of the world's cannabis for the last 80 or 90 years and it will do it again
5: That's a very high number for the world's cannabis. I'd say the nation's probably, Jason. But we'll go ahead and hop to our next correspondent. Thank you so much for that headline.
2: Very, very informative, geek. Um, Wait, wait, hold uh, on. Let's let let Adam have the final
7: word. I'm sorry. Thank you No I appreciate it. Uh, so two things num- a couple things number one uh, this is not an either or with tax reform tax reform is vital in California and the discussion of uh, becoming competitive in other state markets we think is a support for the arguments for tax reform number one number two in terms of interstate agreements which we are not calling compacts and it's a question of whether they would they would officially be a compact. Uh, Congress has the right to vote on them but compacts can move forward if Congress does nothing. Okay so there we don't need an affirmative vote we just need them congress not to stop it right and we are and we also believe that this is something it is very we think it is important to get uh, a regulatory framework between states that uh, that want to do this in advance of federal legalization so we can set a better example for what federal legalization looks like and the last thing is while TrueLeave may fight in Florida to keep Florida's doors closed and Cresco in Illinois to keep Illinois doors closed there are new states coming on board uh, legally that are going to take years to get uh, production up and ready and that production is we have to going- jump
5: on this we have another correspondent I'm super sorry I really Go
7: ahead. no no that's cool thank you so much for the time
5: Thank you. Up next, we got Elliot Lewis. Please and land this plane for us. Founder and CEO of the multi-location cannabis retail brand Catalyst Dispensary and a man who needs no megaphone. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. So uh, and I agree. Keep the fight going. I didn't mean to be uh, too negative, but uh, just kind of stating the facts. My headline is uh, locals start to weigh in on pot tax debate. SB 1281, to me, the most important story in California that continues to be the most important story is tax reform. You Know that I think the key line in the story is it's not palatable for lawmakers. I've had a lot of conversations over the last few days. I'm getting less and less confident, it's gonna pass cleanly. Um, our very own Jason Beck has some good quotes that I'm gonna rattle off and then make a few points. Let's get it, but you know what? It's something that has to happen in order for the industry to succeed, otherwise, you're gonna have the illicit going only gonna have the illicit market left. Also, he goes on to say. Uh, that it depends on the community involvement to get behind it and really steer the message in the court of public opinion. Uh, so just a couple thoughts on this. I did hear somebody say that, oh, this is only going to ho- help big business. The other day when we were talking about it, uh, you know, no offense, that's just a totally misguided comment. First and foremost, tax reform is going to help the little guy uh, more than it's going to help big business. Only well-funded big business could really probably survive in the long term in California. And spoiler alert, We're all going to become big business. Even the craft guys are going to merge up. When you go to the cereal aisle and you uh, buy cereal, are you worried that it's uh, Nabisco or uh, General Mills? No. No. You just want to get a good price. Same thing with tomatoes and artichokes. Uh, Confidentially, I had a lot of conversations yesterday. There are a lot of stakeholders in California. All these conversations started. This is a conversation that's confidential. Uh, Don't spout off. I don't know why they think I'm going to spout off. Uh, Maybe they think that I uh, have a lot to say on a public platform. But nonetheless, I do think there's a lot of uh, interest getting involved in this issue. 1281, while we're pushing for it. I think we need to remain open minded and creative solutions so that everybody can get an interest that's met and uh, that we move forward with consensus. But I will say 1281, while it looked like it had some early support, is starting to fade over the last 48 hours again in the fight. We'll see where it goes.
2: Thank you so much, Elliot. Sorry for rushing you. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show, anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city-county state or country your addition to our show makes the state of cannabis news hour news you can trust
0: you've been tuned in to the state of cannabis news hour where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m pacific time for the state of cannabis news hour your Daily Dose.
2: Have a great weekend, everybody. Say goodbye, Rico.
6: Goodbye. Rico, you're supposed to say adios.
2: He's not in Mexico anymore. I'm all up in California. Bye. <laughs> Bye.